Mendal, along with study guides, books, and other resourceful tools. And it has a handy cross-referencing section in case you're looking for a specific subject of study. So ask for the Insight for Living product catalog when you write Insight for Living, Post Office Box 69000, Anaheim, California, 92817. Okay, Chuck, I know you have some special comments to share. Looking back, looking forward, that's our theme on today's broadcast. And that's exactly where this program finds me. I'm taking time today to retrace my steps. I'm taking time to think, to dream, and to pray about what lies ahead. And you do the same. I'd like to challenge you with a special request. When you look back on the months and the weeks and days of 1993, and when you begin to set new goals, looking ahead, Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Jimmy Tenor. Trying to pin down the Finnish musician is something of a futile exercise. On the one hand, he's known in electronic music circles for albums on key labels like Warp and Sarko, but on the other, He's a jazz musician at heart, with a deep respect for John Coltrane and Pharaoh Sanders. He's managed to combine those worlds like few others, but his wide-ranging style, which touches on everything from doom metal to funk, makes him even harder to place. Add to this a bizarre sense of humour and a knack for pastiche, and you've got one of modern music's true eccentrics. In conversation with Lisa Blanning, we hear about the joys of collaborating with Tony Allen, building instruments from rotating fans and oil barrels, and how the urge for disruption powers his fascinating live sets. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Jimmy Tenor is up next. down to just the root of everything that I, I I would say that you're a jazz musician or you you make jazz or that's the sort of base point for everything yeah yeah I would say that yeah okay so at, you, at so least you I'm a mu- musician for sure you know and I play like <laughs> I play saxophone and flute so that's pretty much 
normally people think that okay that's kind of jazz instruments at least saxophones or, but yeah I went to jazz schools and um, but I'm actually discovered sort of like like really discovered like jazz music when I was like 25 27 or something like that um, like through music like Sun Ra and you know like so I didn't I never liked the kind of like straight ahead jazz or something Mm, okay, so you were playing saxophone. Why then? Uh, yeah, well, I, I liked. Uh, I would. I always played more flute, so you know, I was, wanted to play flute. And then, okay, if saxophone has the same fingering, so or more or less. So, I, I, okay, there was a reason for that because um, in the eighties, it was very uncool to play flute. That was the least coolest thing I could do. So if I would go to rehearsing room, okay, I'm, I have this flute, people would laugh and say, let's go back home, go home, you know. And then, luckily, in the 90s, people started sampling, you know, like jazz things in, in hip-hop and stuff. And so there was a lot of flute in those samples, and it became, like, actually cool to play to play flute so I was really happy about that you know like thank god the 80s are gone <laughs> but you still chose flute to begin with was that, a, was that a conservatory thing? yeah I played in a conservatory yeah. my teacher was the grandson of Sibelius the composer and ah. he was very strict you know so that's why I mean I'm a pretty pretty good flute player you know like uh, was, did you choose flute because it was the smallest? no I, I don't know why I don't remember the reason why I always wanted to play flute. Okay. And when I went to the conservatory, I said, I want to play flute. They said, you're too young. In your age, you have to start with piano. That was, a, I don't know, some kind of Finnish system. So so I had to start with piano. I wasn't that good. And then when I was nine, I could change to flute. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Okay, well, okay, now that we've established base level, that even in your own mind, you're a musician and a jazz oh yeah musician. yeah yeah then, definitely a musician instead of let's <laughs> perhaps say perhaps a musician <laughs> maybe uh, a jazz musician um yeah okay well i mean okay so my real question is so how do you think that you were able to make what is essentially jazz mm. and even big band music mm, something yeah. that cool electronic labels wanted to release yeah yeah what's well, a good question i don't I don't know if it's a problem, and maybe it's at least financial problem for me that is. I make this music, which is, you know, if I play like jazzy stuff and I go to a nightclub that is very electronic, kind of sound. I mean, people think normally this electronic thing, so there's a there's a small issue, you know, like uh, it's hard to fit in, let's say, uh, with my with my history, but. Uh, the reason why why it's okay for the those labels to release my stuff, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm I'm just wondering how you convince them to to release your stuff. I didn't convince. <laughs> 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 they asked me. I, what do you think? I, well, okay, what do you think it was about what you do that attracted them to mm, you? That you know, my first sort of solo album was like uh, released by this Finnish label Sahka and the owner is an eccentric guy so maybe that's one of the reasons and uh, um, it was just merely a context that was set 
right away. Yeah, I didn't know that him that well, but I knew him a little bit. So he's he was releasing this like really minimal like electronic music by Mika Vainio and uh, Panasonic. Yeah, yeah. Panasonic back then. Yeah. So to release my stuff was like completely the opposite. You know, a little bit like you know my music isn't that heavy. It's just like and, and it's there's a little bit of humor and stuff. Um, but he liked it and and because I was doing music with electronic stuff but I had uh, only like really primitive equipment so I could just about get a bass line I got this like cheap sequencer but I couldn't do much changes in, in during the, the course of because um, of the track because the limitations I just want one beatbox and maybe like a, one synth so I think well I know how to play instruments, so let me put a mic there and I I, I play on top, so that becomes like uh, like music instead of just like a little bit too primitive stuff. So I think that's how it started. The, the, yeah. the combination of electronic and, and kind of jazzy things. How do you think that Sako first heard? I mean, I obviously I think that uh, um, it has to do with there's a Finnish connection there. Yeah, Curry. yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you? How did he first hear about you? Do you think? Um, I mean, were they, you- I was living in New York, so they they came to to bring some some records to the shops, and what and just come New York to New York anyway to to have fun. So they came to my place to stay and. Uh, uh, yeah, I played some of my stuff, and they're like, "Well, yeah, send me a cassette or something." <laughs> so I sent cassettes, and he actually released the cassette. I mean, like he just took it straight from the cassettes because I didn't have a, like a master tape recorder. I I recorded everything with a ghetto blaster. So I was I was really surprised when the record came. I'm like, "What did I make this?" Because I I kind of forgotten what I did. I did a lot of tracks all the time. So. So the way he selected, you know, the, the stuff that I made was like, was really surprising. I'm thankful for that. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I think that's it's it's kind of a it's a very interesting trajectory. Although obviously you were using electronics, so it's not that it was strictly jazz. And yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. No, there's only like a little like spice of jazz. Yeah. But I just feel as though like as your career progressed, that became much more strong yeah yeah well yeah because when i was in the jazz school and i wasn't that good student you know i was i i didn't feel like i fit in you know so i didn't have i i didn't have any like um belief in myself i was like you know maybe this maybe this acoustic music is not for me and um but then like just playing with the drum machine and just playing something on top it was totally liberating for me like I, well I can play something you know there's something here you know and then slowly I started I started practicing more and and later on when I went to Warp label they they suggested well maybe you should play organ on stage and, and play something so I had to learn to play the left hand sing same time as as playing and which was really hard for me i'd never been like a multi-tasker you know on stage before but i which um, nowadays i actually am uh, uh, but that time it was really hard and, but you learn when you <laughs> practice who do you, who do you think your audience is 
I mean, are they electronic music heads? Readers of Downbeat magazine? No, 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 Downbeat, definitely not. I don't think I've ever been... I think there's never been a review of my thing in Downbeat. Maybe, maybe once, but it's it's a different world. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely like this kind of like um, D- DJ types that would sometimes listen to Sunrise, whatever, you know. Oh, that's my what, what I consider my optimal audience. Yeah, when when I was playing like two days ago at um, in a club here in Berlin. The DJ, I, I don't know who played before, but it was incredible. It was exactly the kind of music I would like to hear in a club. There was, I didn't recognize a lot of the stuff, but there was there was some Sun Ra, some Farrah Sanders, maybe Farrah Sanders with Clock DVA and things like this, and really like a left field thing. So. Do you think that you exist between fairly disparate scenes, or that that there's a there is a specific scene for what you're doing? No, I think this. There's some like strictly electronic people who also can tolerate my thing, you know. Yeah, I, I think I've I've done so many different stuff that it's. I have a couple of fans here and there, but it's pretty inconsistent. How how important is it to you the idea of being an outsider? Maybe it has become quite important. <laughs> like what I, it's hard for me to if I go to studio. It's hard to me. Hard hard to make a track that I would think okay let's make a, like a pop song it's, it's hard and I don't think like that I would like to make something that would sell a bit more but it just doesn't doesn't happen that's interesting because you definitely have a bunch of pop songs yeah yeah well yeah I mean, they, they kind of accidentally happen yeah 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 I'm totally I like pop music and they come sort of accidentally if they come I like to make like melodies. If if I have something like some kind of group going on, I'd like to make a catch a melody, and sometimes it happens. I, I'm just trying to say that there's a difference. I I have a lot of friends who make like uh, strictly really commercial music, and their aim when they go to studio is to make a hit with a certain kind of structure. You know, and things happen when they're supposed to happen, and the sound is supposed to be slamming. You know, that's like, a, but it's. I think it's a different mindset. I enjoy the role of being outsider. You know, let's say like that. But when I go to the bank, I don't. I don't enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the idea of being, because I, yeah, I fool around in so many different genres, so it's become like a nightmare in a, in that way. You know. The record shops ask like, "Well, where where do we put your record, and which which genre is this?" And I can't tell. Well, I mean, I think that there's like a th- it's tr- I would completely agree with that statement. Mm. But you, um, there's also like a thread that runs through everything. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, if you listen to the music itself, there's certain kind of chords I always use, and certain kind of structures that are kind of typical and. And certain kind of sounds, you know, like for sure, for sure. Because I compose in the same way if it's big band or electronic. You know, I, I use the same equipment. I use this, I use a lot of this like chord memory function, and it's like a little bit cheesy, but but I use it. This sounds you play with the chord memory. It's immediately like housey or a little bit Star Wars, you know, like a <laughs> sound. And I'm sure John Williams used it. 
when he was doing Star Wars. That's interesting to hear that you um, compose in the same way. Yeah, even. yeah, yeah. I use these step sequencers for for bass lines many times because I um I want I want the idea to come outside of my own head, you know, like that is. Or if I'm in a trouble finding like a bass line, I switch on the step sequencer. So you just turn the knobs and you can change the rhythm to be a little bit random and you do stuff that you would never do yourself and maybe it goes in the wrong key compared to the the chords that I already put but then if it sounds good it's good you know you leave it you know you don't touch it even though it plays a B flat in a in a B key so look, it's interesting so later on if I if let's say I do some like electronic track and I have to play it acoustically later on many times I figure then I find out, oh, the chords, this is major and this is minor and they are supposed to be the same song and I never noticed it <laughs> when it was released. But do you, so when the gig that you played the other night, you had like three synths and then a drum machine. Yeah. And is that sort of what you're working with in the studio as well to start out with or to, to when you're when you're germinating a record, for instance? Yeah, well... Yes and no, because some of the stuff I can't bring outside my house, you know, like the step sequence, the box is kind of big, so it's, I sometimes I travel with it, but so when I do live gigs, I have to do a little bit different setup, but I like to have like many, many equipment and I, that, it, that I have my hands on like quickly, I can quickly change balances and, and it's like a, I'm being like a chef, you know? Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of ingredients, and I combine them like all the time. It's it's kind of like modular without being modular, but the mo- the modules are like you know, like separate machines, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah. You know? Well, I thought that was I thought it was interesting because um, when I had heard, especially because you did, there was this whole period of your discography where you're you're playing with bands. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, for instance, your last record that came out this year yeah um i thought i just assumed it was a band but then after seeing you play it, i realized that it probably was just you actually it's it's a lot of me but there's there's a drummer and a percussionist and on the on this philophone record you know. it's it's a very acoustic record but when i did the demos i i made them pretty much the way i do stuff on stage you know so that's that's kind of the electronic music connection like it's it's hidden there but it's it's there yeah and uh you know like when i do demos i use this kind of blocks in that i can swap around in in a computer you know that that it's it's tied to a clock because i find it easier to make demos when i can shift things around and if i would do just a wild like just recorder it would be kind of difficult to, to combine the elements and but the, the record um that we made at Philophon, they have some really cool synths there, like uh, like historical stuff. You know, like uh, I never seen this, like, Hammond extra voice and stuff, which is like really primitive synth. It's, it's it looks like an organ, but it's a, a monophonic synthesizer, like hidden in, inside there. The, I find the sound really meaningful. You can't adjust it much, but it it has a different feel than the, the modern synths, which have like. Too many, too many possibilities. 
you touched on this before, but um, just to just to just to clarify, how how important is the idea of humor for for your work? I try to not to do it, but it it it, it happens sometimes. Yeah, there may be the timing of things sometimes, or like certain kind of line. Like if I'm playing live, yeah, there's way more. Like like I like to have fun, you know. My thing if if people come out, I personally like when when shit happens there, you know, like when there's something to watch and and you have a good night and then you can meet the people in a club and it's it's a friendly environment. So I I prefer that kind of evening compared to let's say like a DJ night where I I personally suffer a little bit. <laughs> so I want it to be like a family family thing, like event. That's why, like, if you if you look online, like, some snippets of my performance, mm -hmm. you see me playing flute or you see me playing like wrong, wrong notes. It's taken out of the context of the, of the gig, and it normally looks just stupid and horrible. But because you have to you have to know what happened before, and you have to kind of this this like the the moment of absurdity has to come from the experience of being there and. See, see how I do this though. I hate to watch my my live gig videos because it doesn't translate. I I would actually have suggested that there's a, a lot of humor in the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, sure, sure. I try. <laughs> I like combining like space, science, and and love and <laughs> this kind of erotic thing. So it's kind of my thing. I I'm like a little bit of a popular science like nerd in a way and so i enjoy those themes but if if you would make a uh, lyrics that are only let's say like scientific that, that would be like strange <laughs> so i like to put like a funny metaphor if it's possible yeah it's really it's well it's funny to to hear yourself just hear you describe yourself as a nerd and then you have so many lyrics that are that are about sex and, and, yeah, well, and it, it, they approach it in a nerds, very humorous way uh, okay. <laughs> well humor is can be uh, sexy and erotic you know why not although I, I was reading like some Andy Warhol stuff and, uh, and they they always say that in, uh, in his books that humor and sex uh, don't mix uh, this is impossible what about the idea of pastiche as device? Okay, because <laughs> I, I feel like it's you're not afraid of it. So I am yeah, not afraid, um, but I wish I wish it wasn't like that. Wait, what do you mean? Uh, well, maybe I wish I was more original in a way. Like, but it's um, I guess. Well, you, yeah, I think you are original in that you ha you definitely have your own thing. Yeah. The when yeah. I, when I'm talking about pastiche, I'm talking about the fact that on some records there are, like you were talking earlier about how you um you listen to a lot of different kinds of music, you play yeah. with a lot of different genres. There are some tracks that are clearly you attempting to make. For instance, the, the you're, uh, there's one record where you clearly have made an electro track. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. it's and there's you know in your there's maybe only one of those, but uh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it feels like it's a bit of a pastiche, but it's that's approached right. yeah, yeah, in a yeah, yeah. very it's approached in a very lighthearted way. But it's true, yeah. I don't do electro electro like that often. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's like, but hopefully, I the, you can hear something like that is my sound. Yeah. yeah, I mean these are just what what I mean by that is that these are are they 
just fun exercises or they, is it, you know, what, what is it? What is that? What are those? Because there's, there's lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's lots of different kinds of, of, of things like that. Yeah. Well, sometimes I have like a fantasy of doing like soundtrack or whatever, you know, so I, you, you just do different stuff um, as if it was as a movie thing. So there might be a scene of this and scene of that, you know, a love scene and then and a nightclub scene. Maybe that's where it comes from. Also, you know, maybe I'm not like a more modern, distracted person, you know, like that. I, I can't concentrate on one thing that for that long, you know. So it's like, okay, I, I concentrate on music, yeah, and I, and I deliver, you know, so like a lot of recordings, but but they're all over the place. <laughs> but I, I like it though. I like it though, like that, of course. So it's like a method of experimentation. Yeah, and having fun, you know. Life is long, and I don't want to play, like... I mean, the idea that I would play, let's say, like, just only, like, techno the rest of my life would would be really depressing. For me, I don't care if other people do it, but for me, it would be too much. I, I mean, I mean it's, it's really clear that you have big ears in the sense that you, you listen to a, a lot of different kinds of music, and, and that makes its way into your own stuff in this in this manner um and and like i was saying they in, in a way those those tracks f- kind of sound like homages uh you know to, but you know but they're they, they're so wide-ranging you know i I've, I've heard clear references to doom metal psych rock yeah. prog um you're clearly a fan of funk and that's that's actually one thing that's very impressive about the way that you play is 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 that it's it's very funky mm. and and yeah and like i said of course it, it really seems like you're a jazz musician so so of all those different types of of things that you've attempted and you've tried and you've listened to and all that and that's made its way into your music are for any of those do you do you regret trying any of those or or putting any of those to tape or <laughs> depends on the year when i think about what I thought was a bad idea. I mean, um, I'm, I don't regret. No, it's just, you know, just like a fun, fun thing. Yeah, and, and recently, like maybe the last 10 years, I've been doing a lot of like African influence stuff. Um, and that's happened totally by accident because uh, I was looking for, I was actually thinking about to, to ask Tony Allen to come to play on the one track. It was a bit of a Latin track, so I was thinking maybe some Latin drama. But, but then I found out that Tony is living in Europe, so I was in contact. But he couldn't make it, so I, I got friends with uh, like African ensemble here in Berlin. So we started playing together. And, and ever since, I've been kind of like indoctrinated or something like I've been brainwashed to, to think like in a kind of sort of little bit in African music way, you know, I, like in the last album, I play all the bass lines with, and with the organ, so it's definitely like super influenced by uh, like African music. Yeah, and you're, and the way you're, you're playing saxophone too is, it's, yeah, cle- yeah, it's yeah, clearly, yeah, sure. it's clearly all there. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's actually, it's pretty interesting because of, um, <coughs> it's part of my know, technique like too, a, you know, like it's like, um, I, I like to go for it and you know, I don't have like a great, great technique in, in many ways and but I, I i like to sound personal so and i think that's part of like african sax playing is like uh, is it's the personality and the, the kind of like the way you you approach the the playing is more important than intonation or you know any of this stuff which i found really liberating because 
I think like as a rule, like European horn players are like they play too well in pitch. Yeah, you know, like it's too too clean and too nice. It's too perfect. Like yeah, it has to be. It has to be more rawness. You know. You know, if you want to play vibrato, just play it. Like it's, even if it's not cool at this moment to play with a heavy vibrato, but you know. Yeah, I well, it's just it's it's very interesting to me because you know you're like a, a pale northern northern European guy. Yeah, and you're you're playing very convincing <coughs> Afrobeat style. Yeah, I, I've been around these guys now for like a long time, so yeah, I, I definitely learned so much about the the rhythms and uh, you know I was I was playing some solos and and with with Tony because later on we did an album like with Tony Allen, so um he was like you guys. You don't have a t- attack, you know, your horn playing. Like, wh- where's your attack? Where's your attack? So it was me and this Cuban guy playing the horn section. So we go, like, what do you mean? Like, but yeah, then we kind of figured it out. And like, yeah, true. We we come in too soft, you know, like with a, with this kind of supposed to be, you know, stuck out of horn lines. And we had to ac- academic approach. So it's so you learn, you know. Also, in the beginning, we would start playing with the so like polyrhythmics. I I couldn't figure out where the bar starts and where are we. I mean, I was super confused. But now I'm not confused anymore. Just to go back to to talking about Tony Allen, um, did he know about you before you worked together? How how did that collaboration come about? No, I don't think about? he knew. How, so how did how did you convince him to to play with you if he if he didn't already know who you were? Um. It was the um, Strut Records. They, um, there's this guy Quinton Scott, and um, he um, he had a series of records that where a younger artist makes a list of five older artists that he or she wants to collaborate with, and um, so he asked me to do that list. So I put names. I put what did I put? Hermeto Pascual and uh, Marshall Allen and uh, Farrah Sanders and Tony and one more, maybe James Chance. Well, then Tony Allen worked out out of that list, um, which I think was lucky because Tony is an easygoing guy and really sweet guy. And and it was great because he's a drummer and, um, you know, I do other stuff, so he, he wouldn't have... Both had a like easy role in a, in in the production, so. But he, yeah, I don't think he knew my music. Uh, Quinton played him in the backstage. I brought him some demos. He was he was visiting Finland, in a jazz festival. So I brought him demos. That's got to feel good that he listened to your stuff and was like, "Yeah, I can play with this guy." <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. Of course, first first couple hours in the studio was. We it was a bit difficult, but then we went to have lunch and we drank wine and everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit nervous, of course. I mean, because I mean, I listened to his playing since I was a teenager. So I mean, and it's also really interesting to to hear that you learned something from him about the way you play. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, he plays really quiet. I mean, he plays so quiet you kind of play more quiet because you wouldn't hit the drum skins anymore if you was playing more quiet so and and obviously his sound is great and the groove is amazing so so that's that's a lesson you know right there you know like 
you don't always have to be like a like a gorilla or like some kind of elephant that comes into your room. You can just, you can be macho and but take it easy and and like uh, incredible. Is that going to be an ongoing thing? You guys have released a record. You've played several times together. Yeah, maybe not now. We did uh, we did an album for for the Moog synthesizer series. Like uh, we did uh, like a duo in Cafe Otto. And uh, so, yeah, that sounded like a live recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I made this system. This English engineer guy, um, Finley Shakespeare, that um, each drum would trigger the Moog synthesizers like with a step sequencer so that the, each hit would move one step of the, of the step sequencer so I, I programmed some stuff for for Tony's songs and we came out really good I mean it was a strange gig when Tony starts playing the drums all the all the <laughs> all the moves are firing and becomes this strange yeah the recording well yeah could have been better but um I would like to do it in a studio properly. I don't. Um, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I. I think that uh, jazz is seems to be making a comeback right now. Okay. But um, like for instance, Kamazi Washington. Oh yeah, and yeah. And there's yeah. this whole group in London that seem to be selling a lot of records right now, which is almost surprising uh, around Shabaka Hutchings okay, and yeah, um, yeah. a lot of these players. I have a friend who um, re- runs a record shop in Oakland, and he says that he can't keep these records in stock there. Okay. So that's interesting. Okay. And um, I've also noticed in other. Um, genres people are starting to make a lot of music that is 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 really seems to come from a jazz place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, although you know maybe it's not they're not traditional jazz musicians um i i so you so have you i would fit that? in I would yeah that's fit what i'm wondering in. i mean i'm just wondering if you uh, um that's affecting you in any way i haven't heard about that but that's yeah sounds good especially thinking about because now we are right now today and we're in the studio to make a new record for philophone and uh, yeah, it's gonna be maybe more jazzy. It's definitely like all acoustic uh, albums, so that's good news. Good news for that. <laughs> but if it's very traditional sounding, and then maybe I'm not sure. Some of the jazz festivals are incredibly conservative, you know. If it's like a big mainstream jazz festival, so. But Kamasi Washington, he plays in many like crossover festivals, so like you know. Not necessarily strictly jazz festivals at all, you know. And that tells you something that, you know, because I, I find, especially when I was in playing in Asia, there was like a lot of, they were really conservative at the jazz festivals. I, I was shocked, you know. I was a bit afraid to play there because I, I felt like it didn't fit here. What, what, but it's, it's, it's interesting because of, of everything that I hear in what you do and in your music. I saw an interview that you did for iPlug in 2016. And you said then that you thought your music sounded Finnish. And I mean, I I wouldn't say that at all, but but maybe also I've got no idea what Finnish music sounds like. So so what do you what do you think? What do you think are the defining characteristics of your music that sound Finnish? a certain kind of moodiness and maybe a little eccentric sounds, you know, like that it's, um, but yeah, definitely like I make, I, I try to make this kind of long melody lines, which I, I find them finish in, in my, 
that they are. And uh, I know some Norwegian friends of mine, they run labels and they say, oh, that's the Finnish melody line you did again. I was like, what? what's Finnish about that? Oh, everybody in Norway knows the Finnish melody. Okay. But really? I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like this kind of like wandering synthesizer sound, which sounds lonely or something. <laughs> I didn't know it. There was there was a thing. That, uh, do you is that do you think it's related to Finnish folk music at all or uh, what music? Fin- Finnish folk music, that like no, that that melody no, that they're referring no, to. No, no, I don't think. Uh, and I'm I'm not. I'm definitely not influenced by Finnish folk music. There's a big folk scene, and and it lives its own life. And I, I I never listened to it, so it, for me it's it's like it's foreign music to me. But I think the 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 way of life and the sort of the, the nature and so like the the kind of loneliness and isolation is is more like a real influence, like to the melancholic. This is a little bit melancholic, at least deep down. Mm, that's interesting. That's something. That's something to listen out for. Then maybe because um, yeah, no. I mean, uh, I hear so many different kinds of things in 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 your music, and there and there are some touches which maybe would would re- relate to that. But I, I, for instance, there's there's one record um, where I. S- I swear you're playing the flute like it's a shakuhachi, like oh, yeah, it, yeah, where yeah. that's like I like okay, well that must be like a reference to um, Japanese soundtracks. Yeah, exactly. It is. Uh, in Japanese culture and Finnish culture, there's a lot of similar stuff. You know, like deep down, it's like uh, kind of a little bit reserved and quite polite and very clean. You know, clean countries. You know, like everything is. You leave your shoes outside the house. I mean, like when I come to Germany and people walk, it's well. I'm actually I have shoes on now, which I find amazing. I, I have them on, but anyway, <laughs> I do leave my shoes always outside, and it's it's a thing, you know. Like, right. You just do that. And, uh, so to me, yeah, and because I'm a flute player, of course, Japanese flute playing is huge influence to me. Like uh, I was when I was in conservatory, I was I would play this like modern Japanese compositions, like really experimental. So I got really into that sound already when I was a teenager, you know. I always liked this kind of like, if it comes to classical music, I like the more like experimental and I I don't like like traditional classical music kind of at all, but so that's where my flute playing comes from. And and I make my own flutes. Really? Yeah, like so wooden flutes. Yeah, like so, a shakuhachi. Not shakuhachi, you know. No, I I don't play the end blown. Oh, I see. Yeah, flutes, because yeah, yeah. there it's different. So I, but when you make a flute out of wood, mm-hmm. it it sounds like a wooden flute, and it's not so far away from shakuhachi. And then, then with certain kind of like um, the how the end end note and how you sometimes pitch it down and up and. That so you can emulate, emulate that sound. Yeah, I mean, I love that kind of playing. So. One thing that I I was um, pretty impressed about when when I saw you play the other night was, um, I mean, as I said, you had this these three different synths which you were switching yeah. between in the drum machine which you had going, um, and you would obviously change for each track. Yeah. But um, 
at one point you were playing the flute one-handed and playing the synth at the same time. Yeah. And I, this was very impressive. I mean, and even though it was the same melody on both, like that to me, the, wow, that's the, what I, which I mean, well, that would, that would probably be like, you'd have to be a crazy person to split your mind to be able to play different melodies yeah. on, on yeah, both. People do but, that too, but I know. <laughs> really? Who, who can do that? That's nuts. This is one guy who plays the Steve Rye piece for two pianos where the, you know, the, that this that the rhythm starts kind of like shifting, like they the, kind of the clock changes, mm-hmm. like and he plays it on his own, and for that I, I think you have to be like insane person, like so they have different clocks kind of and they start like you know, so people there are people who can do this one, yeah, but of course if I would play. Like all kinds of nonsense with with the other hand. If I play with the flute, people wouldn't necessarily get the connection that that I'm able to do it. Or some it's I'm, for for live purposes. I I think it's funny when I play in unison. With the no, flute. I was impressed. I was I was yeah. very impressed. I mean, I th- I think that if you were able to play two counterpointal me- melodies together on oh, each, that would be that would be kind of cool like that would that's that would be I have nuts. to work on that <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be the next step well I was impressed that you're I mean because obviously the fingering for both of those is totally different yeah right and you're having to play the same melody on each which means you have to play differently on each instrument and yeah, you're, and yeah, you're yeah, playing yeah, the flute one handed yes it's also hard to keep it in your mouth because there's there are notes when I don't press anything so the flute kind of falls away so I have to get, for those notes I have to put the little finger like to support that it doesn't fall but yeah and you can only play notes between G and D but it's it's a fun thing <laughs> I don't practice that actually I never practice it I, I only done it live so so it's just, just a thing I do I'm like yeah I can do this <laughs> well it very much makes it a one man band yeah 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 and then, yeah, it's funny if I play unison. Then I go to these jazz chords with the so like fourths, and so it has same kind of movement, but the chords go up and down with the with the melody. So that brings it to another kind of like a, a other level. It's funny. Yeah, that's that was pretty. That that I I, I was I was very <laughs> impressed actually. Um, wh- so what what do you like? Thinking about that and thinking about all the different kinds of things that you've done, what would you say is the most audacious thing you've done musically? Maybe that's not something you even care about, but mm. well, I'm, I'm surely the the live shows are like they're out there, you know. If I'm on, a, on that kind of mood where I'm really really go for it, then it's like I really enjoy it, and it's completely abstract, you know, like and because nobody's telling me like. You can't do that, you know. And my friends say, "Like you shouldn't mix this. You should, you know, why don't you put the drum machine a bit louder so that you know people can dance?" But I don't feel like doing that because there's so much music which it's all like it'll beat, 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 and then I the kind of like the I find a little bit that the the fun of the evening is reduced when it's so repetitious for me, you know. So I, I want to go a little bit against the grain and do unusual balances and uh, yeah stuff like this playing the flute and I I also try to sing and play the flute and 
and do the keyboard at the same time and then <laughs> then like quickly change the balances and do some vocoding connected to the drum machine or what, you know stuff like this and i don't know if you noticed but i did a little like uh, when the drum machine that uh, you can reduce the amount of steps that it plays so it becomes like this kind of noise noise generated thing like and then you can go from like romantic ballad to all of a sudden like this insane like uh, mm-hmm. uh like noise experiment um, i would say that's as far as i can go <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i, I can't do it in a, in a, in a studio i can't do it at home i tried it i like let me do a record like this where i'm completely free and i just can't do it at home I'm, my mind is too regimented I, if i don't have the audience if i'm not sweaty i can't do it at all so i tried it but and it failed but well it's in, it's interesting that you say that um you know that you don't want it to be this this i i mean i under, i totally get how what you do is isn't is is a different thing than for instance like a a techno set in terms yeah, of in terms yeah. of uh, uh in terms of rhythm but having said that like the gig was very rhythmic and there was a lot of dancing and uh sure, and yeah, yeah. so so and and rhythm like if you listening to what you do and 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 how uh, how much you love funk music and how much you're into mm. Afrobeat is like mm. clearly rhythm is like a very big concern sure, for you. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which again is like maybe another reason why uh, it appeals to to people who like electronic music. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My my friend uh, Russell Haswell he makes um, like noise, and um, he was really struggling at some point. Like you know, people just didn't want to hear his stuff, and he was doing. A, I think it was uh, some tour with uh, Otekran and Aphex. So they they were saying like Russell just put a little beat there, you know, just tiny little, just compromise a little bit, like put a little bit beat. And then next time I saw him, he has yeah, he has little drum machine there. Every once in a while, you get a little beat. And sure enough, people love it, you know, like so beat is is important. Like people like beat, you know, and I I, I understand the reasons, but. Well, it's universal, and yeah. all of us are carrying our own rhythm internally. So, yeah. but you can still be hardcore noise, but you just give them a little bit so that it's it's you can digest it somehow. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I do too. You know, like I mean, of course, I enjoy the rhythmical stuff, and uh, I try to use a little sample here and sample there so that it, you know, this kind of like instead of just like traditional drum sounds. They they make the beat or like, also it comes to the rhythmic sound from the synthesizer that I trigger and things like that. But it, of course, live gig you have just the sixty minutes or ninety minutes or whatever, so you have to restrict a little bit how much stuff I can carry in a, in in a plane. I I like to have more small synthesizers like little sounds, but um, I'm shocked that you're. A solo performer carrying that much gear with you. Yeah, yeah, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, it's it's work. Do you think it's silly? It was too much. Or... No, I think it's obviously <laughs> no. I think actually, to be honest, it made for a really interesting, fun gig that would have been totally different if it was just you with a laptop and your oh, yeah. and your flute and your saxophone. So it would like, be very different. Yeah. So it. I mean, clearly, that's a, a a choice you're making on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I want it to be spread out 
and and th- th- there's something to see, you know. Right. There's with, the whole physicality to the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with with synthesizers, they are not really designed for stage, and a sp- and laptop definitely isn't designed, for, you know, for stage. So there isn't much to see. So you have to try and tr- tr- find ways that it's. Um, there's something to see but it's still not like cheesy you know like that it's only made for visual reasons you know like that it's actually it has has a purpose you know everything has a purpose and it's uh it's not like i put this because it looks great like i bring ms20 because it has you know historical great sense but i don't do that but um Right, so there's an aesthetic reason that. You're oh yeah, yeah, definitely, too. definitely. Not, yeah. not, it's not just because so that you can have. And functional. Yeah. Functional. It has to be functional. Actually, like I don't know if you noticed, but like, I try to make the because with electronic music, there's always this problem: how much is program? Did you do it at home? You know, like how much did you actually do live? I mean, did you just press play? And so I've been always struggling this, like, okay, how much can I do pre-planning and pre-programming? So I try to keep it to minimum. And that's why I can only play certain songs on stage when I'm doing the solo gigs. So I, I they have to be kind of not complicated with chords and not too many changes, like, in a structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my whole thing is, like, when I go on stage, if something changes, you see me doing the change, you know. If I don't touch anything, nothing will change, you know. So, um, because I think in the 60s when they had the huge, like, electronic music studios where they did, like, great music, but then they wanted to bring it live and they would bring a tape recorder on stage and they would press play and clearly that wasn't, after a while people said, oh, well, yeah, it sounds great, but I mean, come on, <laughs> you just press play. Of course, now with the the modern DJ thing, we, we are in the same situation almost. Like people are making fun of it online, you know, like like if, what, where's, where are the scales? You know, you come on stage with a USB stick and you press play, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a very similar situation than the 60s tape recorder on stage. Um, it's a problem. I think it's a real problem. Well, you mentioned this. I thought it was interesting that you, when you were talking about um, this piece you did at Cafe Oto with uh, with Tony Allen, where, yeah. where you actually were you you programmed um, you you so you you've got these other skills where where you can you're triggering the this this yeah. moog so that it would respond to Tony's drum drums. Yeah, yeah, we have. So I had this idea for a long time that wouldn't it be cool that I go on stage with the drummer and then the kick drum would trigger a bass line. You know, that would be like live bass line and it would, every time he hits the kick drum, the the bass line goes one step ahead. So you go like boom, 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 a little bit random because it would come from a step sequence. So we tried this like with the Echo Alibi Savage, we tried it like maybe five years ago, six years ago, with my MS-20, and the latency was just too long, you know. It would, sound would come, but it would come too late, you know. So it it was, it sounded horrible when we tried it live. And uh, then I met 
Finland Shakespeare at the at the Moog project, and uh, I talked to him about this. He and he makes modular like equipment, and he has his company. So he said, "Well, let me try to do uh, one that would react faster," and and he made it, and it was really tight. And then we thought, "Okay, well, maybe we we can make this gig with Tony," and he made one for each drum and. That's amazing that they made a project like, just for you. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible, like uh, technical achievement in a way. Like uh, Tony, when he started playing, he was like, "What? What, what is going on? Like this is crazy." Because I was wondering, like you and me alone on stage, what's it going to be? You know. Uh, so I was happy he agreed to do it. Well, it's just uh, the. I mean, the reason I brought it up is just that it's it's interesting because. You're clearly capable of a lot of a lot of different kinds of things, yeah, and you well, know yeah. it's, you're not just this wacky musician guy. <laughs> you're uh, so you're you and you're you're not just a retro synth dude. I, I make instruments, you know. Like yeah. so, uh, what other instruments do you make besides flutes? I made this friend of mine, Matte Knappi. He's a in, like an industrial designer, so we made. Um, we made like experimental things like this one is called the photophone where this is it looks like a fan but where the fan blades would normally be there's a piece of film and on the film we expose sound waves like optical sound like in a like in a movie but really primitive you know like a square wave when light goes through we have a light that goes through the through the film i collect the sounds with a with a photo um, is it resistor or photo cell? You know, so it, you can play it a little bit like theremin. It looks similar to play it. Of course, it works a completely different way. But like- I I didn't bring it to the Berlin gig because sometimes it's a little bit hard to carry. I have so many cables already on stage. So I, I every tenth gig I play the photophone, but it looks great when I play it. It's it's beautiful. It's, it's like characteristic this kind of sound. I played on uh, on many records, like uh, the Warp record, uh, Out of Nowhere. I played on, on the Out of Nowhere track. I played with the symphony orchestra, and, and I was playing it with, next to the string section. So I had my own. It was it was all live thing. <laughs> so it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, and then we made uh, some mechanical electromechanical drum machines, and um, we made a electric flute. Which which is um, it's actually an acoustic flute, but it the the the, the all the mechanics work with electricity and the, the pads close with electricity. The reason we we made it is because um, I wanted to make an alto flute out of wood, and to make alto flute you you need kind of mechanics. You need to have the complicated machinery. <laughs> To, to to make it happen and I, I can't do that mm-hmm. at home so I thought maybe we could do it with ele- electricity you know like with repelling magnets or something like this so so then we figure out how to do it uh, we, we put like electric coils and that, that push them the pad and you can see it online like Jimmy Tenor playing electric flute do you blow into it as yeah yeah it's, it's a regular flute Totally okay, regular to acoustic fluid. Yeah, well, I have a battery. Okay. So. <laughs> we tried to make a patent out of the system, and um, 
turns out that 1965, an English woman had figured out exactly the same thing, same drawing. The, the drawings looked exactly the same. She was working with an engineer. And, uh, wow. But 60s was too early for, I mean, that time, what I read from the patent uh, description, the, the, <laughs> the battery was like a separate unit on table, a huge, huge thing. And so obviously 60s wasn't the time to do it. But yeah, okay. We our thing is still like a prototype. So I wish Yamaha or something would pick it up. <laughs> I mean, because they could do it. I mean, obviously they could do it. But yeah. for for us, it's just too much. <laughs> so, uh, that was a great great project. Like, wow. And that's... you know, because there are possibilities, then you could go on stage with. Uh, you could hook it up into a sequencer, like a step sequencer. And we actually tried this, like with the, with MS Twenty, we triggered some of the some of the pads, so you could blow into the horn, I mean, to flute, and then the sequencer would move the fingers, so to speak. So you could get totally like mechanical sounding, but completely acoustic, like a horn, which would be like kind of strange, a little bit futuristic, <laughs> maybe. Have you seen those? Uh, um, they they just look like ele- electronic recorders. Where you blow into it, but it's like this, uh, like a MIDI, MIDI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A MIDI those. controller. Yeah. Is so it every like time I or... talk about my electric flute, oh yeah, it's like a MIDI controller. No, no I'm wondering, it's I... not a MIDI controller. <laughs> has nothing to do with MIDI, and it's an acoustic instrument. And but it's like, <laughs> yeah. So, but the, so the the electric the electric uh, um, element of this is so that you can make it a lower pitch, or yeah, yeah, that without. Like literally, it can't exist as an acoustic instrument without being aided. Because, yeah, I couldn't. The, I couldn't the, be the able to, the... to to make make the instrument because it would. I mean, there's yeah, there's Japanese and Chinese and uh, and uh, Americans who make this kind of like alto flute. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. You need a factory. You need a lot of people to do it. So I mean, uh, for me, it was no way to do it. So that's why I think. Well, maybe we'll. Electricity would be a really simple thing, and and it was to do. To do so, so yeah, the electric part is only to do how you control the acoustic instrument. I so I mean your your studio isn't just a series of instruments and some computers. It's literally like soldering irons and yeah, yeah. all this other stuff. Yeah, too. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that just leads me to wonder. What haven't you done yet that you got sort of <laughs> that you got planned? Because I mean, you've been you've been working for a long time now. And yeah, I don't have much other life than, than make all this stuff and uh, <laughs> to make music. So that's that's the kind of that's kind of it. Yeah, I don't go and play golf for six hours. You know, like uh, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have the time for, the, for that. So that, but that's good. I'm, I mean, I like artsy fartsy lifestyle, so that's good <laughs> for me. <laughs>